Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. We are at, at the conclusion of our series on James, where we've been going through for five out of the last six weeks. We took a breather last week for Father's Day, talk about grace and receiving gifts and jump on the podcast and listen to that. But for five out of the last six weeks, we've been sitting in this wonderful, practical, hard-hitting letter that James wrote to the church in Israel and in Rome and Greece and Turkey and beyond. It is, it is a letter of wisdom. It, it is modern wisdom literature in New Testament times. They've taken the idea of Solomon and Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and James has taken that idea and communicated it really directly to his people. And so we've looked at issues like endurance into maturity. We've looked at issues of authenticity and humility. We've looked at issues like guarding our tongues, which was an absolute cracker and one always to remember. And, uh, and now, and then uh, humility against pride and self-esteem. And now, we get to look at persistence. So tonight I've called this message again. Can we say again? Again. again. Can you say it again? Yeah. <laughs> it's clever, isn't it? All right. I, uh, I, I want to I talk about persistence. And uh, I want to start by talking about my children just for something different. Um, my, my youngest child this morning demonstrated persistence to me. I already had my little persistence message up and ready, but he just demonstrated it to me. So I thought I'd give you an indication of what it's like to be a parent. So I was upstairs finishing off the message, and I'm using the, my iPad for notes. I'm writing on my laptop, and um, Noah comes up. He's like, Dad, and he comes and gives me a cuddle, and he always does this. Like, he comes up in the morning, and I, if I'm here, he's like, Dad. He's just looking at the iPad the whole time, eyes for the iPad. Daddy, I love you so much. Like, hey, look, look at me when you say that, mate. I don't, I don't feel loved when you don't look at me when you say it. I'm like, would you like the iPad? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, you can't use it. I'm, I'm using it. He's like, oh, when will you be finished? I'm like, I don't know. It'll be a while, mate. And so I said, I'll come and let you know when I'm done. 12 minutes later, he's back up the stairs. Dad, dad, um, hey, hey. Like, no, I'm not finished with the iPad. Oh, how much longer? Like, it's going to be a while, mate. Eight minutes later, he is back up the stairs. Dad, like, it's not finished, Noah. Go down the stairs. I will come to you when I'm done. This is the persistence of children. Persistence is key in life. And persistence is key to the Christian faith. Persistence in prayer, in particular, is key to the Christian faith. And we are not great at it. But uh, we're going to dig into this today. So join with me to James chapter 5, if you would. James chapter 5, it's, it's wonderful. As always, because it's wisdom literature, there's different sections in it, and it's worth looking at all of them, but we don't have time to look at all of them. So we're just going to unpack one small section, the section that Jade read for us this evening. And when we kick off, with verses 13 and 14, James is just trying to give us a really simple reminder. He's saying something that Paul says, something that Jesus said, something that the prophets throughout the Old Testament said, and that is simply this. Just keep praying. When you don't know what to do, keep praying. When you're happy, pray. When you're sad, pray. When you're suffering, pray. When you're joyful, pray. When you're struggling, pray. In all situations, pray. Yeah, you're catching on. Yeah. Again, yeah, that's right. Pray, 
pray, pray. And one of our problems with prayer is that we'll come to it once but not again. We'll come to it once and not again. But James says every time is a good time to be in prayerful communication with God. And in verse 14, he pauses to make a specific point about healing. Now, as with most times when you're reading the Gospels and then the letters and the New Testament, the most obvious interpretation is the correct interpretation. James is saying there is physical healing and you should ask for it. You should want it. You should be hungry for it. He reminds us that we should be bold enough to ask for the miraculous. And that's a huge difference between the normal everyday prayers we pray. Like when we're praying for peace, which is a great prayer to pray, but it's not quite the same as saying, and make my leg from broken to not broken anymore, is it? It's different from going, you know what? I think I do feel more peaceful, I think. Do you, know, you know, that's a big difference. But James is saying, no, do it. Step out in faith. Pray for the miraculous. Do not be afraid. Pray for the miraculous. And James says this, gather the elders around us and pray for us. Now, for those that aren't used, used to sort of Christianese, uh, elders are just wise, prayerful, godly people who, who love the church and, and serve the church. And so we have six elders, including Jenny and myself. We have, Tom, I think, pretty much all in the front row, actually. There's Ash and Jared and Tom and, no, Brant's in Port Lincoln, so he's a long way from the front row. <laughs> but everyone else is in the front row. And, um, and they are just wise, godly, prayerful people who are here to love and serve the church. And their job is when it's time for prayer, people come forward and they pray for them or they do something we're going to do tonight and that's they anoint their head with oil. Now, the anointing is something that used to be done to kings, that a king would come and someone like the prophet Samuel would just grab a whole tub of oil and just kind of dump it on their head as a symbol of the presence of God pouring down over them. And we do a similar thing. We just make a little sign of the cross with oil on, some, on people's heads to say, God is with you. He has not left you. Healing is coming. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. So if that's you, if you need healing or you need, know somebody who does, don't miss out on the opportunity. Come forward and we'd love to pray for you tonight. Okay? All right, let me get back to it. James reminds us to confess our sins to one another so that we might be healed, forgiven, and restored the way that Jesus did it. And it leads us to the very last part of verse 16, which is this, that the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, I get up in the morning, I don't feel super righteous. I'm just kind of, you know, barely existing, barely a human being, barely functioning. But James is reminding us that if we are in Christ, we are all righteous. It's not our behavior that makes us righteous. It's what Jesus has done for us. He has gone before us. He's gone before you. He's gone before me. He's made the way so that we can be considered righteous. Not so that we can go, great job, Mike. Pretty righteous today, thanks to Jesus. But so that in God's eyes, we are restored into full relationship with him. That's the purpose, friends. The purpose is not to walk around going, check out how righteous I am. The purpose is to go, thank God I can be in the presence of God. <laughs> thank God I can have that relationship again, thanks to what Jesus has done. So we have this righteousness, which means any righteous person has a prayer that is powerful in its effect, which means if you say, I love you, Jesus, I follow you, your prayers are powerful. Your prayers have effect. Your prayers can move mountains. But we don't do this. 
Or at the very least, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah that's true for the preacher and, and the person who runs communion and the other pastors, but we're, we're, we're the seat dwellers here. We don't, our prayers aren't powerful. No, 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 no. James is very clear. He's taking the prayers and giving them back to the people. The, your prayers are powerful in their effect. It's important to let that sink in, friends. Really, really important. James then says, Elijah. Elijah was a human being as we are. James says, basically, you and me, we're the same as Elijah. It's like, oh, yeah, this sort of thing's written in Scripture all the time. That's, let me tell you what that's like. That's a little bit like going, hey, Jeremy, you're a bit like Mother Teresa. You're kind of the same, right? Hey, Tom, you and Martin Luther King Jr., you're pretty much the same, right? Pretty much the, Yeah, that's a bit dicey to say. I get it. <laughs> but... But the point, can, can you hear the point I'm making here? Which is that it is like somebody who has done this truly, truly extraordinary thing. And uh, James is going, yeah, you guys are the same. Like, no, no, no I'm not. No, I, I have not liberated an entire race. No, that's not something I've done. I have not given away all my possessions in order to serve the starving of India. That is not a thing I've done. And James is saying, no, but in Christ, you're the same. You're the same as Elijah. Now, why does this matter? Well, this is where it gets really fun. Because Elijah was crazy. Elijah would do anything. Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. When the Israelites talk about their great Old Testament prophets, here's the list. Moses, Elijah. That's it. That's the list. Then they've got a whole bunch of others underneath there. These are the cream of the crop. Basically, for somebody who is of Jewish heritage like James, there's no bigger fish to compare you to than Elijah. Now, Elijah lived in a time where there were kings in Israel, but the kings in Israel were corrupt. In particular, Elijah served under a king named Ahab. Ahab ruled Israel, and Ahab's wife, Jezebel, ruled Ahab. And that is how it went in Israel at that time. And because of that, these two were utterly evil, utterly corrupt, and they turned Israel from serving God to serving a false god named Baal. Baal was a Canaanite deity, that is, he was sort of like a, a native god of, of the uh, mountains in particular. And it was believed that uh, Baal was particularly a god of fertility, and you can read between the lines. But where that comes into play here is that because Baal was a god of fertility, he was a god of the crops, he was a god of the rain, he was a god of the weather. So when Ahab and Jezebel were saying, no, 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 we're, we're worshipping Baal, that says that my provision doesn't come from God anymore. It doesn't come from Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. It comes from this tree that we're worshipping as Baal or this stone that we're worshipping as Baal. They set up these false gods and started worshipping him and said, that's where my provision comes from. And God was like, okay, well, Elijah, this is what he says to Elijah. Pray over the land so that there is a famine over the land. God has said this. Pray over it so there's a famine over it. And Elijah's like, well, that seems like a bit of a downer, but okay. So he prays over the land and it dries up. There's no more rain. And so a famine begins to take over Israel. Now, then Elijah goes and he's by a brook and he's fed by ravens and all these weird things are happening to him. But one day, three years after the famine begins, God sends Elijah to Ahab. And this is where the fun starts happening. It's time to show the power of God. So Elijah turns up, and he comes to Ahab, and Ahab says, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? They were good friends. 
And Elijah says, it's not me that's troubling Israel, bro, it's you. And I imagine they went back and forth like that for a while, but they don't have that in scripture. (laughs) And Elijah says, listen, here's what you've got to do. Take the 450 prophets of Baal and you and all the people and meet me up the top of Mount Carmel. This is a one on 451 battle here. This is not a fair fight. But the power and authority of Elijah was such that even though Ahab hated him and Ahab was trying to worship this false god, he comes along and says, meet me at the top of the mountain. And the king says, okay. And brings these 450 prophets of Baal and they have a god off. What's a god off? Well, a god off is when it's your god versus my god and we're going to see who's is real. Let's go. It's like a dance battle, but in the divine. (laughs) So they all go to the top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah, Elijah's like, you go first. I'm, I'm happy to bat second. And so he lets the prophets of Baal and they build their altar. And they're starting early in the morning. They build their altar and then they start to pray and they wail and they dance. And Elijah, you just imagine, he kind of sits down, checks his watch, looks up at the sky. And sometime after lunch, he gets up and he's like, and he starts to sledge them. This is why I like Elijah, right? Like, like a good Aussie test cricketer. He starts to sledge the prophets of Baal. He's like, maybe your God's sleeping. Why, why don't you yell loud? This is in the Bible, friends. This is in the Bible. Why don't you yell louder and wake, try and wake him up? So they do. They yell louder and they start to cut themselves because the prophets of Baal are maniacs. They're doing whatever it takes. And it gets to about five o'clock at night and Elijah's like, all right, I think we've had enough of this at this point. He just lets them keep going. And he goes over to the people of Israel. And he says, see this? Once upon a time, this was an altar of God. We're going to redeem it. Go and get me 12 large stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So they do. They go and get these 12 large stones and they set it up around the altar. And then they build the altar and then they take a sacrifice and kill it and place it on the altar. And then Elijah waits. He says, I want to wait until the time of the evening sacrifice. Not because there's anything mystical or magical, but Elijah is pointing back to the traditions of old that God has passed down to point to the power that's about to happen in the present. And so he waits till the time of the evening sacrifice, and then he says, get me some water. They're like, it's a drought. What are you going to do with the water? He goes, watch. Pause it over the sacrifice, soaks the sacrifice, soaks the wood, soaks the altar, and he's dug a little trench around it like a moat, and the water flows over and fills up the moat. And then Elijah says, now it's time. Now it's time. Why, though, do you think he did that? Why did Elijah dig this moat? Why does he pour water over the altar? Why does he pour it over the sacrifice? Well, the first reason is this. It's exactly the same reason you and I would be doing it. And that's just a straight-up flex. Elijah, oh, this is not a joke. This is not a bit. Elijah is flexing on the prophets of Baal. He is saying to them, it's not going to be enough just to have lightning come out of the sky and burn this up. If this is going to happen, let's make it really happen. Let's increase the difficulty rating. Let's turn it up to expert level. Elijah does this just so he could step back and go, this is supernatural. Don't deny it because the people of Israel are around and they're already in spiritual adultery. They've been worshiping Baal and Elijah says, look, 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 when this comes, I want you to see that it comes, God is coming with power and it's something that only God can do. So he soaks the altar. The second reason he does this was as a sign because they were in the middle of a drought. Now, why do they have water up the top of the mountain? There's only one reason, to drink it. 
They've got this water up the top of the mountain to drink it. And Elijah says, I want you to take it all and pour it over the altar. I imagine in Elijah's mind, he's like, if I'm right, this is going to be spectacular. If I'm wrong, I'm dead anyway. It's not going to bother me. So pour it over the altar. And what's he doing? He's making a statement. I'm not here for the water from the sky. I'm here for the living water. I'm here for something deeper. I'm not just here for the drink that's going to get me through today. I need the living water that's going to get me through tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And if you take nothing else away, friends, tonight you need to take this, that God has more for you than just enough to get you through the day. He's got more for you than just saying, I'd like a better job, God. He's got more for you than just saying, I need my car to work. He's like, no, 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 no. I am here to make you from dead to alive. I'm here to raise you up. I'm here to take all the false gods that you've been putting your trust in and sacrifice them and fill you with living water. Something fresh, something new is happening in Jesus' name. God's got more. And here's the final reason he does it. It's a foreshadow of the Spirit of God pouring out on all people and not just pouring in to fill, but pouring out to overflow. There is always more in God. So he prepares everything and then he prays this important prayer. He says, answer me so that the people will know that you, the Lord, are God. Because behind Elijah's prayer is godly purpose and godly power. He doesn't want his own reasons here. He doesn't want power just for power's sake. He's asking for the power of God so that the people will be transformed. When's the last time we prayed with purpose, with power, with faith that God would move mountains? So he prepares everything, he prays this, and the fire of heaven comes down and consumes the sacrifice, the altar, and all the water. Elijah wins victory. But hear this. Nothing has changed in Israel yet except that God's power has been seen. Now, this is, this is the thing. The fire has come down from heaven, and in our language, in our translation, we're like, oh, that's the end of the story. The fire's come down. The miracle has happened. I've had my mountaintop moment. I've had my little moment with Jesus. No, we are not talking about that. We are not just living in the earthly way that we live in. Elijah sees the fire come down and it burns up the altar. And we go, why not? Why isn't that enough, Mike? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's drought in the land. And while God is coming to fill you spiritually, he does care about your life right now. Can I tell you that? Our God is a God of the now and the not yet. He's not just a God waiting to snatch you up into heaven at the last moment. He's a God who's saying, I want to give you life to the full right now. Right now. Life in abundance. Life overflowing. Life more than you can believe, more than you can imagine. And so while the fire comes down from heaven, we would like to think, that'd be enough. Nothing could shake my faith after that. I'd push back on that. You have a miracle like that and you go home and there's no water to drink. And you're looking after your children. And they say, I'm hungry. And you say, well, I can't bake any bread. How's that miracle working for you now? See, God comes in the miraculous, but he's also a provider. He comes in the miraculous not for show, not for power's sake, but for provision's sake. He comes to show you the miraculous to go, this is the power I can bring you need more than this. You need more than a sign. You need a true miracle. 
And so Elijah sends Ahab, the king, off to eat and drink. But then he climbs back up the mountain. He's got work to do. He goes back to the summit of Mount Carmel, back to the place of the Lord's victory, back to where the high places are redeemed for God, and he prays. See, God had sent him on the journey. God had told him it would rain, yet Elijah still prays. He seals the promises of God by crying out to God in prayer. He takes holy action. And so he sends his servant off to check for rain. And his servant comes back and he says, there's nothing. And Elijah goes, all right. He gets down on his knees and puts his face on the ground. And he prays. And he's down there for some time. And he stands up. And then he says to his servant, go. Go and see if there's any rain. And the servant goes off. And he comes back and he said, nothing's happened. So Elijah gets down on his knees, places his head on the ground, stays there for some time. And he prays. And he gets up again and he sends his servant away for the third time. Nothing. Now, you might wonder after three times, three is sometimes a bit of a holy number in Scripture, but no, still nothing. So what does he do? Does he go, well, God, I gave it three times. He gets down again. Four times the servant goes, nothing. Five times the servant goes, nothing. Six times the servant goes, nothing. How many times have you been down on your knees before God, praying, you're praying, you're saying, God, this is the sixth time, and it feels like forever. Where are you? Why can't I hear your voice? And Elijah just keeps saying to his servant, go, go and check again. Go and check again. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Friends, lift your faith. And then the seventh time, he sends his servant, and his servant comes back, and he's scratching his head, and Elijah's like, well, it's like, well, I mean, I saw something. And Elijah's like, all right, go on. It's like, well, I, I saw, I, there's a cloud. Honestly, it's so far off in the distance, I don't even want to tell you. But anyway, it's there. It's the size of a man's hand. It's pathetic. But there is something. The servant who goes and sees it comes back and reports negatively. And he says, yeah, I've seen it, but it's nothing. Elijah, who doesn't see it, is moving in the spiritual. And he says, no, it's something. Get down this mountain or we're not going to be able to get back down. And he runs down and he takes his servant with him and he goes to meet the king and he says, Ahab, get your chariot and get moving because if you don't get moving right now, it's going to get stuck in the water. And sure enough, the cloud comes and it's bigger and it's bigger and it's bigger than anybody could see with their eyes. But Elijah has been moving the spiritual. He's been praying. He's been lifting up the name of God on high and the rains come. A downpour is coming. A downpour is coming. And the rains come and fill the rivers and fill the creeks and the desert becomes wet again. It blooms. There's a downpour coming, friends. Okay. So we hear about Elijah's power and his authority and his prayerfulness and the miracles that are done by his hand. And we go back to James who was like, yeah, so you and Elijah are basically the same. The man who changed weather patterns with his prayers. And I don't know about you, but I know that when I pray, I come not so much with my faith, but with my faithlessness a lot of the time. And I come and I pray and nothing happens. And on a good day, I'll pray one more time. And I'll be like, God, and if nothing happens, I can just feel exhausted and frustrated. And sometimes it just feels like I'm talking to nobody. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. But when we do this, when we do this, we miss the power of the word again. 
We miss the power of the word again. Because James reminds us that Elijah prayed again. And the sky gave rain, but it wasn't that he prayed once. He had to pray seven times that we know of. See, the hardest part of faith isn't believing that God will move. It's praying for God to move and not seeing it happen in our timing and getting back up and praying again. If you've ever wanted something so badly, needed something so badly, said, God, I don't know what I'll do if you don't move right now and felt like nothing's happening. You know what I'm talking about. And God in his grace and wisdom says, again, again. And all through scripture, the Old Testament prophets, the kings, James, Paul, and hear me, Jesus have to pray again and again to see the will of God happen. Don't believe me? Jesus prays for somebody, a blind man, and he takes his hand off him and he says, what do you see? And the blind man says, well, I sort of see these blurry figures walking around like trees. He's like, okay, so Jesus has prayed for this guy and he isn't immediately healed. If this happens to Jesus, spoilers, it's going to happen to you. And Jesus prays again and his sight is restored. There is more in you than you realize. Your powers are effective because you are righteous in God's eyes through Christ. All you need to do is say yes to Jesus, and you have that same power. So going back to Elijah, James says Elijah was a human being just like us, but we just read this passage. We're like, well, he's not, though, is he? He's not really a human being just like us. And if you're thinking that, you're right. He's not. We're better. Because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. See, Elijah was reaching out to the heaven saying, God, I know you're there. I know you're real. And in faith, I'm reaching out, crying out, begging that you're going to come down in power. We don't have to do that. God has come down in power already. He's in you. He's in me. We have everything we could possibly need. And so we stand ahead of Elijah in this battle. When we feel like we have nothing, we have everything. And so God says again, and we say, no worries, because it's not in our strength, but in the strength of the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, that we step out again and again and again. And Jesus said, what I did, you'll do more. (laughs) You'll do more. Why? Because the Spirit of God is inside you. Here's the thing. Our prayers are not because we are good, Our prayers are because we have faith in what Jesus has done on our behalf. They're not the prayers of the good. They're the prayers of the faithful. You can't be good enough to be in the right place with God. All you can do is say yes to Jesus. That's all you can do. And Elijah was the same. He wasn't praying a prayer out of mere righteousness. He was praying a prayer of faith. You can't be good enough to make lightning fall from the sky and burn up your sacrifice. Lord knows we've tried. And part of the great message of James is to ease a burden on weary Christians who are like, I've been trying. I've been, you have no idea how hard I've been praying. It's like, okay, who have you been praying from? What do you mean from? Like, are you you praying from and through and in Jesus? Or are you just praying out of your own strength? Are you just praying, hoping that the more you use your voice, God's going to, what, love you more, listen more? God already loves you unconditionally. 
There's nothing we can do to make God love us more or less. God is already listening. He's already here waiting. Our problem is we just keep praying out of our own strength and out of our own purposes and out of our own power. And God in His grace doesn't say no. He says again, again. You got this? Come on, back up again. There's a downpour coming, but we need faith to see it. When we pray, friends, we speak into existence a future that doesn't exist yet. We take the intangible and make it tangible. We take the unimaginable and we make it imaginable. We petition the God of heaven and God says, I'm listening. Something extraordinary is happening in the heavenly realms when we pray. We speak our own confidence in Jesus into existence through prayer and we do it again and 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 we trust that God is good and we pray again and we trust that He move in His good timing and we'll pray again and we trust that He has got our best interests at heart and we pray again and again and again. And I just got to let you know that I preach this not from a place of Here's my theological certainty. I've got life all together. Bad luck if you don't. I preach it out of a place of one of my best friends has been wrestling with motor neuron disease for six years and he's not healed yet. So what do I do? I pray again, again, again over the healing, again in that battle, again over his family, again over that medical diagnosis, again, again. I pray again because the God I believe in is bigger than the prayers I'm capable of. So I pray again. See, and then we get to these final two verses. Oh, this is so good. The final two verses in James. James is praying, saying all this stuff about prayer. And then he says, Oh, my brothers and sisters, if any of among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And in some ways, this seems like a strange way to finish because a lot of the letters in the New Testament, it's Paul going, love you so much, can't wait to see you. Give, here's all my shout outs to all my friends. You know, that's, that's kind of how Paul finishes his letter. And James is going, I need to tell you something. And this is where James is so good. Because one of the critiques that some people have about James is they're like, well, yeah, it's helpful, but I don't know, it doesn't mention Jesus enough. It's like, okay, all right. In the last two verses, he says the most important thing all of you need to know is that you need to be the shepherd to those around you. You need to be chasing after your friends, your sisters, your brothers as sheep and bring them back into line with the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He's saying the culmination of my entire letter of wisdom, of prayerfulness, of humility, of integrity is this, to say there is nothing more important than getting your life right with Jesus. And if you see a friend of yours who you love and they've tried and they're trying to walk away, grab them and bring them back. Not because you're being a jerk, not because you want to one-up them, but because you love them so desperately. And if they do it again, go again. And if they do it again, go again. That's what friendship means. There's a fantastic verse where Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye so you're able to look at the speck in someone else's. And, you know, the people who are listening to this at the time are the Pharisees. 
and they're getting a bit uptight about that because they know that Jesus is saying you've got logs in your own eyes. You're judgmental. You're hypocrites. And our tendency nowadays is to go, yeah, that's right, don't judge people. But Jesus didn't say don't judge people. He said deal with your own garbage, just you and Jesus, so that when you've done that, you can turn and look at those you love desperately, those around you and go, can I reach out and help you? Not out of judgmentalism, not out of pride, but because they need to be brought back to Jesus too. It's both and happening there. So I wonder, I wonder what we're doing about that. Are we calling each other back when we stray from the truth? This is stuff that Sam Albury said, and I just think it's brilliant. Am I the kind of person somebody could confess their sins to without being judged? Am I approachable? Am I trustworthy? Would I, this is my favorite one, would I belittle or excuse the sin they brought to me? That's so good. That means if somebody brought their sins to me in confession, would I either belittle them, that is to judge them and make them feel condemned, or would I excuse them to make them feel like the sin doesn't matter? Sam Albury is trying to remind us, he's like, you can't do those things. You need to love them and see them forgiven, and they need to be able to confess and be forgiven. You've got to hold those things in tension. I wonder what God is wanting to do in us if we let him. All right. We are going to come to a time of prayer. And, um, and, and before we do that, I just... As I, as I was praying this afternoon and this morning, I guess, and and um, and, and just asking God, yeah, this is the thing, right, with preaching. You write this message and then you go, God, is this what you want me to preach? And the better you get at it, in theory, the better the writing should be. And the danger is that you then go, my writing's so nice and polished that I don't need to worry about God turning up anymore. And God's like, no, 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 again, ask me again. So I pray and I say, God, what, what do we need to hear tonight? And I think what we need to hear at the end of these two series back-to-back that we set up, one on the power of encounter and one on James, one on how the Holy Spirit turns up and moves in our lives and one on how we can trust and rely on God's revealed word through Scripture, is that for us as a church going to the future, we need the power of the Spirit of God to be out among the people. There is a danger, friends, that we turn up on a Sunday and, and, and we make it the Mike and Jen show or we make it the worship team show. We let Christy strut her stuff and go, she's amazing, and she is, but that's not the point. There's a danger that we come and sit in our seats and go, all right, I've come and I've got the information I want. No, 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 no. God turns up for transformation, not information. God longs for you to be here, not so that you can know new things, but so that your heart can be moved in a new way. So you can lay yourself down like Elijah, prostrate before him and say, God, I'm coming to you again. I'm coming to you again. There's a burden on my heart. I'm coming to you again. What's God calling you out on tonight? Because there's a downpour coming. Spirit of God is longing to move in power in this country. There's one thing I know about Australia, it's that we have drought. We have drought. 
we have a dry land physically, we have a dry land spiritually, but friends, there's a downpour coming. And if you let God, if you take that step out like Peter stepping out in water, like Elijah pouring water over the altar, God will turn up in power. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.